0: Amen. Thank you for that beautiful special. Take your Bibles if you would. And let's open the Word of God this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Well, we just thought we had a long drive to get here this morning, but we have the Stookies visiting with us all the way from Georgia. And uh, then we have another family from Arkansas. So we have a little, a few distance people here today, and uh, so we praise the Lord for that, and makes our drive seem kind of small. And we uh, uh, just thank the Lord for y'all being here today. Trust the Lord will bless our fellowship and the reading of His Word, and we're looking forward to a great time uh, today in our service. Ephesians chapter four. We're going to begin reading in verse eleven. So once you found your place, would you stand with us for the reading of God's Word? We'll have prayer, and then we'll begin reading Ephesians 4, right there in verse 11, and we're going to read down through the end of the chapter, all right? So let's pray together, and then we'll begin reading. Father, how we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the privilege to gather, uh, Lord, today in the house of God. We thank you, Lord, for Christian family and friends, and we just ask that you'd bless our time together and that you'd bless the reading of your word this morning. We pray, dear Holy Spirit, that you will apply to our hearts those things that are needful, that you'll make the message personal today, that you just uh, speak to us in a, in a very practical way and show us what you'd have us do as a result of what we learn today. So, dear Spirit of God, we pray you'd be our teacher and guide. We pray you'd uh, speak to our hearts and uh, show us what you'd have us do. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 4, verse 11, the Bible says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets, And some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, And cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. What a mouthful. <laughs> a lot of stuff here. I want to uh, d- draw your attention back, if I may, to verse 15 where we'll take our thought and then, and then explain how the rest ties in. In verse 15, Paul said, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. I want to preach on that thought this morning, where Paul admonishes us to grow up. That is to mature in our faith, to grow in the Lord. And that certainly is what we're here for today. Thank you. You may be seated. What a great text. Verse 15 says that we're to grow up into him in all things. This is a direct reference to our growth in the faith of Jesus Christ. In this passage, Paul reveals the areas that we should grow in. We we read a lot of content this morning. So in a moment, we're going to go through that. We're going to skip through and we're going to talk about what Paul is saying that we need to, uh, to grow, what areas we need to grow in. Because Paul, like, like any parent, he is speaking as a spiritual father, and he's uh, looking for the growth and maturity of his, of his children in Christ. He's writing this passage with, with that kind of well-being in mind. Look, as parents, as, as much as we cherish the memories of childhood days of our kids, we know something would be weird and something would be wrong if they stayed that size. Okay? Okay. We know they've got to grow and they've got to mature and and they've got to learn to become independent and function as an adult. And all of our training and preparation during those childhood years is for that moment when they would be independent and be on their own one day. And we're not really you know, preaching on, on parenting and all of that. But there is that similarity in this text because Paul is saying that all of us should, should have that at work in our lives, spiritually, in the Lord, we should all be growing so that we grow up in these areas that he's going to highlight for us this morning. So let's look at a few of these. Verse 13, notice what Paul said. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. That word perfect means complete. It means whole, mature. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, when we talk about growth in the Lord, spiritual growth, you know, we often think of other, other believers, maybe who are living the example, you know, that we're trying to live up to. We think of Christians who, who seem to have it together well. Maybe, maybe those that have taught us in the faith. And we kind of picture ourselves, you know, up next to them. And we kind of measure where we're at. We kind of measure our progress as we look around at other people. You know, there's nothing wrong with that because the Bible says, Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus, that we should be examples to the believers. And he wrote to them that that we should become a pattern, if you will, that, that other people can follow. Because as humans, that's part of what we do. We look for truth lived out in life. We look for the Christian life in shoe leather. And it makes more sense to us when we see someone live it out before us. And so there's nothing wrong with with taking those lessons that we learn from from the saints that are a, a few steps ahead. So that we can grow too in the way we should. But Paul said the ultimate test of our growth, the ultimate measurement is when we stand up next to Christ. You know, sometimes we stand and we look at others and we say, boy, I'm doing pretty good. Man, look at them. And, and usually that's when we're looking back to maybe people who aren't quite where we are yet. Right? And at any moment in time, we could do that. We can look back and we can see people that haven't, haven't maybe learned what we've learned, haven't been through what we've been through. And we can say, boy, I'm doing good. I'm better than they are. But we could also turn the other way at people that are ahead of us. And we could look at them and say, well, you know, I've I've got some growing to do. But the real test is when we stand up next to Jesus. And hey, we get up next to the Lord and we realize, unlike this cross, (laughs) we realize how short we are when we stand up next to Jesus. The measure of the perfect man, complete in Christ. And you know, that really is our goal. We're, We're... longing to be Christ-like, for Him to finish His work in us. The Bible says that we will be conformed to His image, not their image. Isn't that right? So when we look at, at Christian growth, we know that Christ is our goal. He is our measurement. And we're looking to Him. Paul said while we're doing that, here's an area that we need to grow in. He talks about the faith in verse 13. That's because we need to grow up in this area of doctrine we need to grow up in our doctrine and this is the first step it's not unusual that paul would mention this first because when someone comes to christ one of the first things we do is seek to educate them in the doctrines of the bible to help them understand what the bible teaches and what we believe as christians and there are some things that, that we have to pass on to them so that we can, as Paul says, come into the unity of the faith. I love that expression. This unity of the faith comes from being united in our doctrine. We are unified when we are like-minded about the things that the Bible teaches. Unity of faith begins with unity of belief. And then it continues with unity of Of practice. We'll talk more about that in a moment. So, you might say this morning, just for example, there are at least five areas that you and I want to be unified with other believers in that we fellowship with. All right? These are called the five fundamentals of the faith. So, first of all, we want to make sure that we're like minded about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And you know what? It's a good thing to fellowship with folks who are in agreement with that Bible teaching. That Jesus Christ was born of a virgin that he was sent to this world as the Savior of the world he couldn't have been the Savior if he wasn't born of a virgin that's what broke the human chain that's what allowed him to be deity clothed in humanity Jesus was virgin born meaning he was not born with a sin nature like you and me had he been born like you and me, had, had he had that sin nature, then he couldn't have died on the cross as God's substitute, sacrificial offering to take our place and pay for the sins of the world. It wouldn't have worked. He would have been dying for his own sins, just like you and I are responsible for ours. And God disrupted all of that when he sent Jesus and allowed him to be born of a virgin. Without sin, he was born. He came into this world with no sin. And the Bible says, he who knew no sin, as he hung on that cross, he became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. So Jesus, being God's pure, perfect one, took all the sin of the world on himself, made that payment on the cross, shed his precious blood, so that we could be washed and cleansed from all of that. The virgin birth, it's a very important Bible teaching. The second one is the vicarious death of Jesus. Now you notice we have a cross here at the front of our church. We're reminded of the the death that Jesus died. But remember, it was a vicarious death. In other words, he died in our place. The word vicarious means that he was our substitute. He took our punishment. That death should have been my death. That should have been yours. The Bible says the soul that sinneth, it shall die That was the punishment of sin, our sin. And Jesus took it upon Himself. So that's what the word vicarious means. It means He stood in our place, He took that punishment upon Himself. The vicarious death of Jesus Christ. Now you notice this cross here is empty, there's there's no body here. We don't memorialize Jesus on the cross because we look to something greater. And that was his resurrection. Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He's not on the cross anymore. He died, but he didn't stay dead. He's not dead anymore. Three days and three nights, and then he arose. He came forward victoriously, and he rose bodily from the grave. Oh, it wasn't one of those in spirit things. He literally, physically, bodily got up from the grave and ascended into heaven. And the Bible says he's seated at the right hand of the Father uh, today to make intercession for us. What a Savior. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe that that happened and it took place after Calvary. I told you it was greater. Greater than his death was his resurrection. And greater than that is number four, his visible return. Jesus will come again to this earth, just as sure as he came the first time. He promised that he would come again, and he is surely coming the second time. The question is, are you ready? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you accepted this great work he did on the cross to pay for your sins? So what does it mean to do that? It means that you stop trusting in what you can do to get you to heaven, and you start trusting in what Jesus did to take you to heaven. Quit believing that you can be good enough. Quit believing that you can get to heaven by being a church member or getting baptized or doing something good, some good deed somewhere. You can't do enough good deeds to get to heaven. All of our good deeds without Jesus would be contaminated by our sin. That's what Isaiah meant when he said, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags In the sight of God. Isaiah was referring to that pile of putrid, used, ugly rags that the lepers would take off after it absorbed the ooze from their sores. You know how ugly and and stinky that would be? Isaiah said that's kind of what our goodness looks like to God, to a holy God. He looks at our goodness like that pile of used rags. Dirty, sinful Ugly. He can't accept that. The only thing God could accept is the perfect offering made by Jesus Christ on the cross. That's why He made it. God does not trivialize life. And He wouldn't have allowed the life of His Son to be given on the cross if there was any other way. But there was no other way, and so He did. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. Not believe in you, not believe in what you do, what he did. After the visible return, number five, what do we believe? We believe in the verbal inspiration of the scriptures. We believe that this book is God's word. Though penned by men, the ultimate author is God himself. And through revelation, God gave us what we have in this book. Things we would not otherwise know. God told us about the beginning, and how all of creation began. He told us about the story of man, and the redemption of Christ, and he tells us about the end. He tells us how it's all going to wind up one day, and we know from his word that we're getting closer and closer every day, because the similarities are getting real, aren't they? Every generation has probably said that, but Man, they're just more real every time. They're just more real every day. Keep reading the headlines, and it reminds you of Bible prophecy and the things that God's Word said would come to pass in the last days. The virgin birth, the vicarious death, the bodily resurrection, the visible return, and the verbal inspiration of the Scriptures. And hey, I want you to know that as we fellowship with folks in the Lord, these things right here really can help us, guide us, and determine who we should fellowship with. And sometimes who we should not fellowship with. We're growing up in our doctrine as we learn the importance of these things that the Bible teaches. Now, there are many other teachings of the Bible, but we call those the fundamentals, maybe the core, what's really important that we start with. That's how we come into the unity of the faith when we find people who believe what the Bible teaches in those areas and in others. Now, there are things we should maybe part company over, and there are things we should not part company over. All of those issues are defined as we grow in Christ. And we need to. We need to grow. We need to grow up in our doctrine, which is exactly what Paul says here in verse 13. But not only that, he says we should grow in our devotion. Grow up in your devotion. Verse 13 also says... And of the knowledge of the Son of God. He said, till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now we know because of our study of 2 Peter chapter 1, we know that the knowledge of God has to do with our relationship with Jesus Christ. He's not just talking about knowing facts, though that's where it begins. We have to have information. But when we have information about God, it opens the door to that relationship that we should have with Jesus Christ. And you know, some people think that that they get to know the Lord, they understand that He died for them, they receive Him as their Savior, and they think, boy, that's it. I got it. No, friend, that's not the end. That's the beginning. You, You just stepped over the threshold. There's a whole mansion now to explore as you deepen your relationship with Christ. And Paul is admonishing us That we grow up. Notice how he said grow up into him. Not just grow up, not just know things, but grow closer to him as we grow. This is what he was talking about. And the knowledge of the Son of God is a reference to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Growth in the Christian life is directly proportionate to the growth of our relationship with Jesus Christ, which produces our spiritual maturity. It is the coupling of our knowledge of Jesus with our experience in life. As we embrace the two together, the combination of these bring us closer to God. This is what Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 3 in verse 10. When he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Boy, we like that, don't we? Woo, power, resurrection power. We want all that. But he didn't stop there. There's no period. He said, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Oh, we lose people right there. We lose the immature in Christ. Because you know what? Young Christians, they're all about the happy things of the Lord and the good things of God. Oh, listen, sign me up. I want more of that. But guess what? God's not just with us in the good things. He's with us in the bad things. And here Paul understood how those two fit together. Remember Paul, the writer of Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good. To them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Hey, God is always at work in our life. And when bad things happen, we we think he checked out. We think, well, God went on vacation. He left me. No, 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 no. God hasn't left you. If you're his children, he said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And sometimes we walk walk a lonely path. Sometimes our path is full of stickers and briars. Sometimes uh, we pass things that, that cause us grief and pain. We go through sorrow and anguish. Nowhere in the Bible does it say a Christian is exempt from that. But when we couple that together with the power of his resurrection when we enter, when we take that power into the fellowship of his sufferings, it brings a balance. It brings an understanding to the Christian life that cannot be gained otherwise. And it gives confidence. And this is what Peter was talking about when he said that God was going to let you go through some things, some trials and some sufferings. But after that, he said, he's going to establish you, strengthen you, settle you. What was Peter saying? He Like himself, he was saying, when you go through some of this, it's going to mature you in the faith. You're going to understand God's closeness and his nearness. You're going to understand his presence like you've never understood it before. Grow up in our devotion. You know, the things we experience in life should cause us to be more devoted to the Lord than we were before we experienced whatever that is. We all have moments, though, When the thing at hand may push us away, because at first we doubt, at first we question. Sometimes we get intimidated, kind of like Peter, remember? As he followed the Lord, it says afar off, waiting to see the end. He didn't know this wasn't the end, man. This was the beginning. But he stood outside and warmed himself in the fire. And during all that time, people began to say, oh, you, hey, you're one of his. Oh, no, he said, not me. No, not me. I don't know the man. We've all been there. Before we cast a stone at old Peter, we got to say, oh, me. I haven't always identified with him as I should. I haven't always been so eager to let, everyone, let the world know that I'm, I'm with Jesus and he's with me. all we like sheep have gone astray we've all had our moments when we when we strayed from him we've doubted him we questioned him but you know you look at the peter that that's writing first and second peter and you compare him with the peter that you see in the gospels and right away it doesn't take long do you see that wow peter's matured some boy he is He's really sounding wise and strong in the Lord. Oh, yeah, that's right. But he went through some stuff to get to that. And, you know, if you and I are going to grow in the Lord, put your seatbelt on, because I'm just telling you, it's it's going to require going through some stuff to get grown up in him. Some of the stuff you're going to go through is not going to be fun. It's not going to be pleasant. Some of the stuff is really going to hurt. There's going to be some anguish, some sorrow, some loneliness involved. But don't you forget that Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Hey, there's going to be times you're going to think he forgot you. There's going to be times you're going to feel so lonely. You're going to think God's not within a million miles of you. But all the time, you'll look back later and say, he was right there. These are are common things. Look again in the scriptures and you'll see that all God's children have gone through this. There's not an exception. David, Moses, I mean, all of them. The people that God has used mightily, they have grown. And what grew them? These same common events of life. God took them through. You know, that's like the songwriter said, some through the water, some through the blood, uh, or some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood, right? We all get saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, and then beyond that, we all go through varying things, and those things grow us, they mature us, they help us. We need to grow in our devotion, not just knowing about Jesus, but knowing him. You know, there's no better way to get to know somebody than spend some time. Spend some time with them. Interact with them on a daily basis. See them in the events of life. And you know, when you go through your life and all the stuff that's in it, God wants you to experience Him in the midst of all that. And as you do, you're going to come away with a greater knowledge of Jesus than you had before. It's what it's all about. Grow in our doctrine, grow in our devotion. But Paul said in verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Well, we already talked about doctrine. But Paul said, in order to not be tossed about, and carried with every wind, we're gonna to have to grow up in our discernment. The ability to discern. The Bible talks about this in different places, and I believe the whole of the Word of God gives the ability to do this. Remember 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17? tells us that the Bible is profitable and the whole word of God, God gave it to us for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction in righteousness. Remember what verse 17 says? That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. This discernment that you need is available right here. But we have to do some exercising. We have to not only take it, but we have to use it in order to grow in this area of discernment. And discernment is required. If you're not going to be carried about with every wind of doctrine, then you're going to have to know some things. Those who have grown in discernment, and they can now discern false teachers and false doctrine. Those who now can see false brethren, hey, they've grown in their discernment. And that's what helps them spot the difference in those areas. The Word of God helps us to exercise our discernment so that we know the difference and also so that we know the difference between right and wrong. Hey, you know what? The world has gotten away from the Word of God. Our country's in a mess. Read the headlines. They don't know up from down. This world is severely lacking in discernment. One of the reasons they don't have discernment is because, first of all, They don't believe in absolute truth. And if you don't believe in that, then what is there? What you got? You got nothing. You got opinions. My opinion, your opinion, his opinion, her opinion. And if you don't have anything to referee between those opinions, then you have no anchor for your soul. You have no direction. You have no compass for your path. No wonder. And if you think this is bad, ho, ho, ho. Outside of truth, friend, error has no boundaries. You have not begun to see what error can bring. Just wait. The world needs to get back to God. The world needs a reintroduction of the Bible. We've got a generation that now has grown up without God. And, you know, they wouldn't know the Lord from a lizard, as I heard someone say one time. Listen, uh, they're, they're in bad shape. And it's discernment that we need. Discernment comes from God's word. Discernment comes from truth. And we can't have truth without God's word. It's, God is the source of truth. Let's look in the Bible, and let's, this is so important. Let's just take a moment and let's look at a few verses about discernment and how this works in our Christian lives. Look at 2 Timothy with me. 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you will. A couple of verses here, verses 2 through 4. Paul admonishes Timothy. Look what he says. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all suffering and doctrine. Why is it? Even Christians talk about taking doctrine out of the way. They say, well, they say doctrine divides. No, no, no. Doctrine defines defines it only divides the sheep from the goats and we need to preach doctrine we need to have long suffering we need to be in season out of season what does that mean it means all the time we need to consistently and thoroughly consult the word of God and consider the word of God and proclaim the word of God so that we can have truth in all seasons Reprove when necessary, rebuke when necessary, exhort when necessary. Hey, our world needs a lot of exhortation. He said, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from truth. I want you to circle that word turn. They shall turn away their ears. Who's doing the turning? They are. Who did it to us? We did. We turned. But notice the second part of the verse. It says, and shall be turned. Underline that. Shall be turned unto fables. Now who's doing the turning? Somebody else. You know, people think when they turn away from God's word, they think they're in charge. They turn away from God's word. But God's word says, when you do that, Then you shall be turned. Someone is going to be turning you unto fables. You know, you you can put a P next to that. Somebody said when you put a P next to a verse, that means it's been proven. Hey, it's been proven. There are people in our day that will believe anything but the Bible. Creation? Oh, no, no, no. That's, they'll say that's religious nonsense. But you're going to believe evolution? We believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And you believe in the beginning all the matter in the universe was sucked into a dot and then exploded. <laughs> hmm. And this one is science? Because we use terms like matter... And energy, hey, let me ask you a question. Where'd the matter come from? Where'd the energy come from to blow all that stuff up? Hey, let me ask you a question. If the second law of thermodynamics is true, how did you get order out of disorder? I I mean, if we go blow up a junkyard today, would we get a Cadillac drop out of the sky? It doesn't work like that. You don't get order out of chaos right? (laughs) Amen. Let's go. Let's go charge the salvage yard. (laughs) Amen. No, 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 no. That's crazy. Isn't it funny that smart people, so-called, believe that stuff? Let me tell you something. It takes just as much faith to believe that. And by the way, evolution is just as much of a humanistic religion. It's a religion, just like creation is Christian religion. And you're going to choose, by faith, to believe one or the other. Because there's, n- nobody was here in the beginning. We don't know how it happened. So you have a choice. You can believe God or you can believe the humanists. And isn't it interesting that there are people in our world that will believe anything but the creation account? When to me, it makes more sense that there's a designer. You go by and you see someone building a house. Guess what? Somebody designed. Look, that carpenter didn't just get up one day and say, hey, here's a board and some nails. I think I'll build something. And he came up with that house? No, no, no. Somebody drew, somebody designed this house before the first foundation was ever laid. When you see an item, you know it had a designer The same is true. Back up and take a bigger view of our universe. You you can't tell me that all of this order came with no designer. Look at this great design, and you're telling me there's no designer? It doesn't make any sense. Look, we live on the only habitable planet in the universe. You think that was an accident? The placement of our planets. And if we were one degree off in either direction, we couldn't live here. Are you telling me that was a cosmic accident? You got a lot of faith. My Bible says that that, that God holds all this together, that He created it, He designed it, and He sustains it. And don't worry, you you, uh, environmentalists, I know we're not the best stewards and we're not doing our best job taking care of everything, but you know what? Hey, it's all going to hold in place until the end. Because I read the last chapter, right? We're going to have times and seasons until, right on through until God says enough. And it's going to be okay because in the end, he's going to destroy all this. This that is corrupted by sin, he's going to do away with. And the Bible says he's going to create a new heaven, a new earth. And, and, and hey, it's all going to be good. God is going to win in the end. Another reason to believe his side? I like being on the winning side, don't you? Yes. You can pick the losing team if you want. Look with me at Ezekiel. I'm spending way too much time here, but I, I think this is so good. We need this. Ezekiel chapter 44. And look at verse 23. It says, And they, talking about the priests, you can see that word in verse 22. And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and profane. And cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. Now how are the priests going to do that? (laughs) They're going to do it with the Bible. They're going to use the the portion of the word that was in existence at that time, and they're going to use God's commands to show people how to identify what's clean and what's unclean, what's holy and profane, what is right and what is not right. You know what? God's word still works to do that today. The Bible doesn't have a, a thou shalt verse on every item. But the Bible is full of principles that we can apply to every situation. So, if you understand the meaning of the scriptures, if you understand the basic teachings of the Bible, you can go apply that to any subject. And the discernment is there then to come to a conclusion that this is either right or it's not right. The Bible gives us that, it's a wonderful gift of God. Notice, if you would, 2 Peter chapter 1, and, and I'm gonna, this is it. I'm going to go to the next point after this, but I've got to give you this one. 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 9. It says, but he that lacketh these things, all the good things we need in our Christian life, like faith, virtue, temperance, or knowledge, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity, these eight characteristics that God gave us to grow in our Christian life. It says, but he that lacketh these things is blind... And cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. What does that mean? It means he goes back. People say, well, preacher, I just don't see anything wrong with that. Okay, you're saying you're blind. You're not telling us much about the topic, you're just telling us about your condition. Preacher, I just can't see it. Okay, I I know the Bible says right here if you lack these things, you're not gonna see it. And that's why Paul said it's so important, folks, it's so important that we grow in our discernment. Look, there are Christians today that can't find their way out of a wet paper bag of truth. They're lost in the world on these issues that we're facing today, all this this transgender and and this uh, sexual issues of today, you got Christians that can't find their way out of these topics. We have the Bible. We have the mind of God, the creator of life and the universe. We know what God said about all of this. But they're as lost as a ball in high weeds. They cannot see. And I'm telling you, they are revealing more about their condition than they are about the topics at hand. It's sad that the majority of what we would call Christendom, Christianity today, is blind and backward. They've been stunted in their growth, and today they cannot discern the difference between right and wrong. That's a problem. When we're supposed to be the salt and light of the world, that is a major problem. It's because we haven't grown in our discernment. The Bible helps us do that. You are responsible to know the teachings of the Bible. You are responsible to know if someone is teaching you false doctrine or not. The Bible says, remember, you shall know them by their fruits. People who teach you, You're supposed to examine them. You're supposed to know if they're teaching you the truth or not. And you know, there's a lot of people that never put their leaders to that test. Don't allow someone to lead you if you haven't looked at where they're going. The Bible says in Hebrews, who's talking about your pastors in particular, it says whose faith follow, knowing the end of their conversation." Right, So we need to consider those things. By the way, you're also responsible to know when something is wrong. It is is the responsibility of teachers and and pastors and Christian leaders to, to, like Ezekiel said, to teach the Word of God so that you can have the discernment to know the difference between right and wrong. But look, don't blame it all on them if you're not in the Word at all yourself. And if they're not teaching you, then you should identify their lack and and get under somebody who will teach you. we got too many Christians today that are supporting the wrong kind of leaders. I mean, you get on YouTube and you watch some of these guys teaching false information, false doctrine. They are not teaching truth at all. They're teaching a social gospel that feels good and sounds good and fits in with everybody. They didn't get that from the Bible. And I'm looking at that YouTube screen, and I'm I'm, I'm observing a full auditorium. And I'm thinking, what are you people doing, sitting under, supporting that false teaching? Shame on you. We want to say shame on the leader, but whoa, wait a minute. He couldn't be up there doing that. She couldn't be up there doing that if they didn't have a room full of followers paying for it. Hello? We have a responsibility to uphold the truth. And we have to take that seriously. It requires discernment in order to do that. May God help us. Hey, I know it's hard sometimes. Sometimes we have to draw some tight lines. And we absolutely need the discernment of God to do that correctly. I know it's hard. But you know what? Being blind doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't help our situation. Being lackadaisical about it doesn't help our situation any. And it doesn't help the people that that decision affects. And if we're going to minister in this world like we should, the challenge is on us to grow in our discernment so that we can be ready for the issues at hand. In verse 15, Paul said we need to grow in our dedication Notice he said, he didn't just say grow up, he said grow up in him. Grow up into him, uh, in all things, even, which is the head, even Christ. So we're we're talking about a, a reference to our dedication to Christ. You know what, we are set apart, folks, for a purpose. We are set apart for a person. You know, sometimes when we get new in the faith, we get all excited about getting away from sin. But we forget that there's a reason why we're getting away from sin. You know what? We're getting away from sin so we can be close to the Savior. There's an agenda. There's a purpose. The getting away from sin part, that's not the purpose. We do that in order that we might do this and be close to him. We forget what we're separated unto. We get all focused on what we're separated from. God help us not to lose sight of that. When we pursue the study of a topic in our life, we become known for that pursuit. Somebody studies a trade, they, they become known as that, as a welder, as a carpenter, as a, uh, as a mechanic. Somebody pursues a topic in school, uh, you know, they graduate with an engineering degree, they become known as an engineer. Well, if we are in pursuit to know Christ and His Word, then shouldn't we be known publicly as a Christian? We should be known by our pursuit in Christ, that we're pursuing spiritual growth that is anchored in Jesus Christ Himself. This means that we become more dedicated as we grow with the passing of time. So this morning, is your life Christ-centered or is it self-centered? Do the events of life revolve around us and who we are and what we think? Or does it revolve around the Lord and His Word and what He thinks? You know, as Christians, we should find ourselves saying, well, you know, I have to do this because this is what the Bible says. Well, you know, I, I, I have to take this position on that topic because, because this is what the Lord taught. And following Him should, should put us in those scenarios. But when we find ourselves organizing the events of our life, organizing our opinions and our positions in this world around what we feel and what we think, you're just leaving Christ out of it. That's not being more and more dedicated. That's being less and less dedicated. A moment ago, I made that allusion to, to the person who was teaching false doctrine on YouTube. And, and I said that because here was a pastor sympathizing with the causes of this world, saying, I feel you, and I wish, I wish it was like this, and I wish it was like that, and giving examples and scenarios that are completely contrary to God's Word. And I'm listening to this, thinking to myself, how can a pastor stand up and preach that that's that's not even bible teaching at all all he's doing is giving empathy to the liberal causes of the world to the sinful deviant causes of our day things that go against god and the bible and he's empathizing with that as a it would be bad enough as a christian but he's a pastor doing that it's a shame it shouldn't be happening and if the people listening would be responsible and get up and leave it would stop but because they continue to support it it continues it is what it is i like what paul said in 1 corinthians 16:15 about those that had addicted themselves to the ministry <laughs> you know what they did they started ordering their life around the lord and what was going on at church, and, and, and what was taught in the Bible. And because of that, they got labeled, hey, they were addicted. Well, guess what? Put me right there. I'd just be addicted, hey, amen? I, I like this place. I like being here. Hey, I, I like it so much, I'm going to be back tonight. And Wednesday night, you know, it's just, hey, if the doors open, I'm coming through, we're going to be here, amen? Addicted. And if you come and ask me, hey, you know what, we got a, we got a ball game going to happen on Sunday as much as I might want to be there and watch them play I'm going to have to say hey man I'm going to have to catch the recording you know because Sunday man I'm going to be at church I don't even have to think about it I'm not even going to say ooh who's playing ooh you got tickets oh right Brother Stukey's going to be in town this weekend he can preach for me, I'll be there. No, 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 no. <laughs> God don't even think about it. How, about, how, how, how do our lives function? Do, do we do that? Do we have things already set in stone? I, I don't mean you can't ever take a vacation or nothing like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about day to day, week to week. What's your process for making those kind of decisions? Because with some people, it certainly looks like there's no anchor anywhere. Boy, they're just in and out, up and down, whatever. That's what Paul was saying. Let's not be tossed about with everything that comes. Let's be dedicated to the Lord. Let's be be discerning. Let's make sure that, that as we grow in Christ, we become more and more dedicated to him. We love him more with the passing of time. Oh, now I don't have time to go through this whole list. But in verses 17 through 31, Paul said we should grow up in our duties. You know, there's a song we used to teach kids when we worked in junior church, and it goes like this. If you're saved and you know it, then your life would surely show it. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here in these next verses. In verse 17, he says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. Having the understanding darkened. You see that? Hey, you know what? That's, this is how we are without the Bible. This is how we are without God. We live in the vanity of our mind. We, we seek to fulfill the desires of our flesh. Our understanding about spiritual things is darkened. We're intimidated into this area of feelings, and we try not to hurt anybody's feelings. Paul said, don't walk like that. He said, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Hey, listen, some people are there because they haven't grown yet, but some people are there because they want to be there, because they've chosen that, because they've rejected the truth of God's word. They've declined opportunities to grow, so they're in this state of darkness and blindness ignorance how sad how sad that is you know christians can live that way you don't believe me read the book of first and second corinthians look at what all they were dealing with you talk about blind and and ignorant and not discerning wow and paul said when that's the case you've not so learned christ Notice he said in verse 22 that you put off concerning the former conversation. Put off the old man. Put off the old lifestyle and and the way you used to make decisions. The things that used to drive you. The desires of the flesh. He said put that off. Hey, that's a tall order. He's saying we should go against the grain sometimes of our own feelings and grow up in Christ. He said, walk not as other Gentiles. Put off that old man. He said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind in verse 23. And then he said in verse 24, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. <laughs> true holiness is found in Jesus Christ. And we live the Christian life and walk in the spirit. That's when we find that. That's when we're led in the right way. Hey, we, we have to seek God to get there. These instructions have to do with our duties as a believer. Our faith makes our behavior change. And really, it should be evident to those around us as they look on to our life. They should see a different person after we meet Jesus. And as time goes on, more and more, that should continue to grow. When we grow in Christ, we behave differently because we are learning to behave responsibly. What are we? We're disciples. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Did you know God already has in mind what he wants to make out of us? And if we follow him, he said, I I will perform this. I will change you. I will make something out of you if you'll follow me. But you know that implies that we're going to cooperate with the process. Now oh, God has other ways. And sometimes he uses those. But you know sometimes I think it's also true that I think a lot of Christians miss out on some things because they don't comply. They don't cooperate with what God is trying to do in their life. They just don't take advantage of what's right here. Peter talked about being a partaker of the divine nature, the Spirit of God within you. Hey, you know He's there, but you might miss it. You might not partake if you don't do certain things. And if you don't get in his word, you don't even know what those things are. You don't even know how to partake. You don't even know the difference. And that is the real shame. You say, what drives us to that? Desire. That's why Peter said, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Because the more you learn, the more you know, and the more you know, the more you do, and the more you do, the more you change. And the more you change, the bigger your impact, your influence on others becomes. We become that light (coughs) in the world. (coughs) Did you notice? I believe we are salt (coughs) because of what we do. But we're light Because of what we are. (coughs) Pardon me. Let's look lastly. (coughs) Number six, we need to grow up in our differences. (coughs) Excuse me, pardon me. If you look at verse 31 and 32, Paul said this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking... Be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. So, we see that we are growing up in our differences. Now, what does this mean? I'm just going to put this in a nutshell. <clears throat> Because we know there are things that that are going to be... There are things that may divide us, like differences in doctrine. Okay, we talked about that first. So so right now, I'm not talking about that. Assuming that our doctrine's right and our discernment's right and all that, we're still going to have things come up. Differences, offenses, all of that. But he said, forgiving one another. And I think sometimes the problem among Christians is... We just don't know how to deal with differences. We talk to somebody that doesn't say it like we say it, and we don't know where to go from there. We go out to witness to the world, and we find somebody who believes a different doctrine than the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we want to give them truth. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And, And so when we hear something that's contrary to the gospel, We get frustrated, and we begin to debate and argue, and we just don't know what to do. That's part of maturing. You know, we need to know how to talk to people and just share our faith, and we need to learn how to listen. And just because we listen to what they say doesn't mean we agree. And we don't have to win every argument. God didn't call us to win debates. He called us to witness. To tell what we know about Jesus Christ, he does the work within. Now, there's a time to to explain that and all of that, but but generally, I'm talking about our part, we just need to learn how to handle these situations. That's how we grow. We learn how to have an honest dialogue with with a lost world who, who is obviously not in agreement with our gospel. And it's okay. We don't have to get angry or frustrated that they believe some weird stuff? Because we know they do. They don't, they're not saved. But what are we going to do? We're going to consistently and we're going to caring, compassionately continue to give them the gospel over and over. When we have wrong going on, and you know what? It is. It's going to happen in the church. As young believers, that's hard to handle. That can knock you off course. But we have to learn how to handle offenses among brethren. We have to learn how to forgive. We've got to get our eyes off of each other, like he said in the text, and get them back on Jesus Christ. Okay, it's okay once in a while to look around, but look, ultimately, quit putting people on a pedestal. Jesus is on the pedestal around here. That's the way it needs to be. And we need to keep our eyes on him and quit looking at everybody else. And quit expecting so much. Look around. Hey, guess what? Everybody here is human. There's no, there's no divinity in this room except God within us. It's not us. We're all sinners in need of, in need of help, right? We're, we're all, look, it's like a, it's like a hospital. You, you go to the hospital. You don't go there to find well people. You can go there to find sick people. That's why they're there. Do You know, you come to church, it's the same way. We're sin sick, man. We're all sin sick. That's why we're here. God saved us, and you know, hey, now we're in here trying to learn and get equipped and all that. But we all have the same problem. And we need to quit having such high expectations so that when somebody ever does wrong, it just defeats us completely and gets us, knocks us sometimes out of church. That shouldn't happen. Paul said, grow up in our differences. This is a reference to how we handle our differences. Often, this is the real issue. We just don't know how. Matthew 18 gives a wonderful outline to what do do we have to do when there's a problem with another believer? How do we handle that? The Bible has a prescription for that. And you know, like everything else, if we would do what the Bible says, the outcome would be better. Because God knows what he's doing. He created us. He knows how we operate. And he said, this is the way. And when we walk in his way, everything's better. Because he's right. Amen. Let's grow up in him. Let's learn, yearn for it. Let's long for it. And, and, and look, let's, let's take steps cooperating with God in that direction. Let's decide today that we're going to do what God wants, that we're going to stand where he stands, and when the issues of this world come up, we're going to take the position that the Bible takes, and if my feelings are different, I'm going to put them in the back seat, and as a Christian, I'm going to uphold what the Bible says. You know what the Bible says about the church? The Bible says the church is the pillar and ground of truth. So the church upholds truth, right? And this is where truth is taught and preached at the church. Guess what? The Bible says that believers, you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to contend for the faith. should study that out sometime. We think of contention, we think of fighting all the time. Well, we're good at that. But that's not, that's not all that it means. There's a time for that, but that's not all the time. Contending is striving. And every athlete contends for the prize in their category. Right? What does it mean? It means they give their all for the success of that venture. So just like the church is the pillar and ground of the truth, guess what? Christians are the pillar and ground of the faith. And we are in bodily form the example of the Word of God to the world. You are the only Bible that some people are ever going to read. And we are to uphold that. And I just wonder, what would happen if every Christian got excited about the Word of God and the faith, the body of doctrine that God gave us in His Word? What if every Christian got excited and gave their all to uphold that to the world? Whoa. I think it would appear to be a different place. What are we doing to advance his cause in our life and in this world? That's the question. And when we're growing in all these ways and we're doing what we should, that's the answer. Amen? May God help us grow. Let's pray together. Father, how we love you this morning, how we thank you for your goodness to us. And we just pray now that you'll speak to our hearts, have your will and way in every life. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.